The drive-through is GTM's monthly news episode and is sponsored in part by organizations like hpdejunkie.com, Hooked on Driving, AmericanMuscle.com, CollectorCarGuide.net, Project Motoring, Garage Style Magazine, and many others. If you are interested in becoming a sponsor of the drive-through, look no further than www.gtmotorsports.org. Click About and then Advertising. Thank you again to everyone that supports Grand Touring Motorsports, our podcast, Break Fix, and all the other services we provide. Hello, and welcome to the drive-thru. This is your host, Brad, speaking. With me, as always, is Eric and Tanya. Hello. This is the winter edition, and as you all know, the drive-thru is our monthly recap, where we put together a menu of local, racing, and random car-adjacent news. And now we're going to pull up window number one for some industry news. But before we do that, Brad, I just want to remind everybody that this is the last drive-through episode of season one. So season two of BreakFix kicks off here at the beginning of March. We're excited to see what season two brings us. A lot of surprises, probably a lot of changes, lots of great guests and episodes that are coming out here over the next year. I just want to remind people that, you know, it's been a minute since we've done a proper drive-through episode. Hopefully you caught the last couple that came out. We had a really great remastered, would you like fries with that last month? And then some other things that we did in the previous months leading up until now. So our goal for this this last drive-through episode of season one is to capture some things that happened over the winter. You know, the motorsports world is pretty quiet. The, even the car sales world is pretty quiet. There's not a lot of debuts, but we found some, I think, some good news out there. And we just, you know, want to talk about those things as we get prepped and we get excited for season two, the start of the next racing season. And we go from there and we see where things lead. So on that note, let's send it. So the first thing I want to talk about is Volkswagen 2022 Golf R based on the Mark 8 chassis. Yeah, I bet you all didn't know it was coming because they announced on the same day as the election. I don't know who the marketing guru was that decided we've got to announce on this day. Maybe it's because they're over in Germany and like the election is a non-factor over there. I don't know. The 2022 Volkswagen Golf R, I think it looks terrible. And, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out there, but that's not what we're talking about today. We're talking about the power output which is 315 horsepower up from apparently 287, 290, something like that in the previous model. Still the same two liter turbo. It's still gonna have all wheel drive, but it's updated four motion system. It's gonna work in conjunction with the electronic differentials and the dampening system. So they call it vehicle dynamics manager, torque vectoring and you know all that funny stuff. Basically in layman's terms, press the go pedal, spin the wheels, magic happens and the car just moves no matter what. I thought you were going to say, in layman's terms, it's an Audi A3 or an Audi S3 with different skin on top of it. Well, it actually looks more like a Q3 than an A3 to me. If you look at it, it looks like a, a mini minivan. It looks like it's lifted a little bit. It is. It's right up there with the BMW M8, right? I mean, it's gargantuan. I'm not a fan of the 8th series. I mean, I've always been a big proponent of... The even number series Volkswagens are where they get it right. Well, I'm with you. I think this one was a bit of a misstep. I mean, a lot of people like it. It's got a good aftermarket following already. Just hasn't grown on me. And I haven't seen too many in person yet. And I think that's part of the problem. Maybe when I see one in person, it'll change my mind. But I do have a hard time with that front end where it shares the look and feel of like the new Tiguan and the Touareg, or I guess it's not the Touareg anymore. It's the Atlas. I just, I don't get it. But I will say this. 
hats off to Volkswagen for finally putting out a Golf from the factory with over 300 horsepower. Sadly, I want to know how much this thing weighs because if it's 3,600 pounds, the power to weight ratio is actually probably worse than some of the older R-spec cars at this point. So what have we really gained at the end of the day? Well, I can tell you what Volkswagen is doing that is right. And they are releasing this car with a manual transmission option. Uh, excuse me. Excuse me. What? Yes. And, and you're going to love this figure. The reason they're releasing it with a manual in the U.S. is because 40%, 40% of all R's and GTI's sold in the U.S. are sold with three pedals. 60% of those cars are sold with DSG. That's mind-boggling. In a, in a market where the manual transmission is dying, you know, and all across the board, no matter what, 40% of these cars. So V-Dub kids, Dub kids are keeping the manual alive. Manual Preservation Society is strong in the VAG community. I like that. The other side of that is the fact that they've gotten rid of the Golf. The base level Golf now is gone. You can only get a GTI and then you can get the R package, obviously, on top of that. I think that's interesting. And obviously, if you haven't heard the news, there's no longer a two-door Golf or GTI anymore either. That was a big move they made last year or the year before to do away with the two-door. So I look at this as maybe an olive branch to the Volkswagen community to say, hey, you're giving us a manual transmission. Thank you for that. Still not a big fan of the four-door move, but I get it. They're trying to maximize the platform. They're trying to you know, minimize the amount of retooling that they're doing because the A3, the S3, the Golf, all those cars are all the same. It is sad though to see the Beetle go away as we know that happened not too long ago. But on top of that, I think what pains me even more is there was always that glimmer of hope that we might get the Scirocco. And now that along with the TT is done. There is no more of any of those types of cars. And it's heartbreaking, but whatever, we got to make progress or we got to make room for other models to come in. They got rid of the Beetle and now they're moving towards EVs. It's like the Beetle is the perfect home for an EV. Put the batteries in the back like the original Beetles had the engine. <laughs> I mean, it's a perfect candidate. And there's actually some, uh, you know, renderings of what a, a Beetle could look like in EV. And it pretty much looks like a Beetle, but it's got that futuristic-y look. It's, they're pretty cool. Reconsider their, their lineup in the future. It would be nice to see the Beetle back, but... I, I agree with you there. And honestly, keeping the Beetle design, if you kept the previous one and put the motor in the back, as you're suggesting, and even maybe did all-wheel drive, the frunk would be larger... <laughs> Uh, by cubic volume than the current hatchback availability that the Beetle has. So moving things around actually makes sense and you don't lose any people space. You probably gain some at the end of the day. So I'm with you. I mean, they're doing the, the bus, the ID one or whatever they called that thing or the ID buzz, right? I mean, that's a cool idea. The Beetle should be right there with it. And, and even maybe a Carmen Ghia, <clears throat> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But <laughs> well, I guess we'll see what the future holds. But and, I mean, it, it, with the Beetle, I mean, they could do a dual motor version with a motor in the back and a motor in the front called an RSI and oh, yeah. have four, 500 equivalent horsepower. It would be, would be ridiculous. All wheel drive, Beetle. No, no. The new, the new mantra is that we all aspire to own rental cars. So, you well, know, hey, it's okay. Well, and the other thing is the Beetle aesthetically is like designed to be electric because it has no freaking front grille, basically. Yeah, I agree so with that too. In terms of all these new electrics that look kind of odd sometimes because you lose all that grill for the airflow that you don't need to an engine, it's like the Beetle <laughs> isn't going to look weird. 
it's going to look right. And the Fiat 500 right behind it, right? That's right. another one, another icon. And then I could see the Mini going in that direction as well. I mean, again, those were three cars that had been competing with each other for such a long time. It just makes sense. Speaking of changing the automotive landscape, I don't know if everybody was paying attention over the last couple months. We talked about it on several drive-through episodes, the whole Stellantis merger, which is Fiat, Chrysler, Peugeot, Citroën, and all the other sub-companies are now under one large conglomeration called Stellantis. It went official and they went IPO on the 19th of January, and they are now the fourth largest automaker in the world. There's a lot of stuff packed into that. If you're just kind of going to blow it off and be like, ah, it's just Chrysler and we're just going to get more challengers making 9,000 horsepower. That's not true either. I've heard rumors around the mill that because of the influence from the French, they're talking about scuttling the SRT division of Dodge. Yes, technically the division that is known as the SRT engineering team is disbanded. However, the engineers were just moved into a new division of the global engineering team. So they all still exist. It's just they reorganized the structure and they're still going to develop cars badged with SRT and all the performance models. It's just that SRT is a standalone engineering group within the company. It's no longer that. They're just rolled up into a larger engineering division. To your point, a lot of people don't know, if you look back over the history, SRT was actually started by Iacocca and Shelby as a skunk works to get the Viper off the ground. So it's been in existence for quite a long time, even though cars didn't start carrying the badge until way later, but the Viper was the genesis for that. So again, I guess there's a lot of confusion, a lot of clickbait out there to your point. Again, thank you for clarifying that. We get excited about this. I don't think we want to see a thousand horsepower challengers go away because it gives us something to talk about. Uh, well, if SRT was to disappear, I mean, I would be devastated. I mean, they're the last like holdout of making all these muscle cars, essentially is what they are. I mean, uh, in, in the traditional sense, like barbaric, you know, muscle cars, like Mercedes makes muscle cars and BMW, I mean, Mercedes definitely makes muscle cars with the big giant V8 up front and the rear wheel drive and everything, but they're overly complicated, you know, as the Germans like to do. Dodge, Chrysler, Stellantis, they still make seven, 800 horsepower cars for the everyman, which I would be very sad if it disappeared. And I was really excited about the SRT Pacifica. I mean, who doesn't want an 800 horsepower minivan? I mean, right as now. Tanya was saying, if they're, they've been dispersed throughout the whole company and they're working in different divisions now, we're going to have the SRT Patriot. We're going to have the SRT. <laughs> front, you know, front wheel drive, though. It'll be perfect. Yeah, it's going to have a Hellcat motor in the back, in the, in the hatchback. It's going to be an 800 horsepower hatchback, all wheel drive. Like an like a R5 turbo for the modern age. And we're going to talk about that car in a little bit. So there's a lot of movement going on there. I see Jeep really taking off. I'm just really not sure about Dodge. I would love to see some French cars over. Maybe we can finally buy a Peugeot, you know, get some hot hatchbacks, stuff like that. I, I'm being optimistic here, but I still think it's very cool. One other thing I will add from a historical perspective, this has really been in the works since the early 1980s, when Lee Iacocca took over Chrysler the first time, it was his goal and his ambition to build a global car company. And I think Stellantis is a move in realizing that dream that he had. And for those that don't know, he originally tried to do this with Volkswagen and it didn't work out. So this is really cool to see all these companies coming together and now in the top five. 
So Brad, yeah. you're a big Jeep guy. Why don't you talk about the new Jeep that is coming? And, and Well, we were talking about the Volkswagen Golf R and I didn't get to say the price. The price is about $40,000, give or take. But for that same money, you can get the new Jeep Grand Cherokee L, which is coming out, which if anybody's been paying attention to Jeep and Chrysler and Dodge, the sister relationship between the Grand Cherokee and the Durango, you will realize that this is really just a Durango. Because the Durango has always had, since 2013, 14 or whatever, seven seats. You know, it's a three row. Uh, so this is basically going to do the same thing. It's going to be a stretch Grand Cherokee. It's about 6.9 inches longer. Is that 6.9 liters as well? Or is it just a small motor? Nope, nope, nope. It's just a small motor. It's just going to come with the 5.7 liter V8. If you opt for the Overland or the Summit editions, if you go lower, it's going to be the 3.6 V6 Pentastar. And no diesel option for the Grand Cherokee L. Yep, not going to happen in the, the Grand Cherokee L, at least to start. New interior, it's going to have 10.1 inch uh, gauge cluster dash, 8.4 inch infotainment system. It's going to have, the, they're all going to have the eight speed automatic transmission, new air ride suspension, you know, all this fun stuff. Regular Grand Cherokee is going to be coming out a little later in the year, and that's going to have a hybrid option. So again, no talk of a diesel. Interesting, a hybrid option. That's really cool to know. So I wonder though, is the Grand Cherokee L just the entry level Wagoneer with slightly different sheet metal? I would liken it to the same thing as the Range Rover Sport that came out a few years ago. It was built on the or the LR3 chassis, but it had the Range Rover bodywork. I think this is going to be kind of like a similar deal. And I, I think it's good because that helps us deal with that initial sticker shock, like we talked about in the previous drive-through episodes about the Grand Wagoneer and how expensive it was and who's going to pay 110 grand or whatever it was for a Jeep, you know? So if they're giving us an option that's similar, giving us that third row seat and getting people in at a more affordable price, like you said, in maybe that 40 or $50,000 range, although even that is a lot of money. Yeah, that's um, not affordable. It's a better option than double that, you know, for the Wagoneer. Agreed, agreed. So what else is going on, Tanya? So we can recircle back to October, where we had reported on the new... You can't pronounce it either. <laughs> no, I can pronounce it. I, it's Tuatara, the high-performance hypercar, whatever you want to call it. You know, Back in October, it said it broke the speed record at over 300 miles an hour, 316.11 miles to be quite exact for average speed. And then shortly after that was released suddenly everyone well that can't be right fact checking something's wrong they're in flag on the play all this stuff and so since then they have redone their high-speed test runs and have now with verified by whatever sources were, were there and double checking and triple checking blah blah they have verified that they have indeed now taken the record for single run and average speed fastest test run. So they averaged 282.9 miles per hour, which beats the previous record of 277.87, which was the Koenigsegg, I believe in 2017. And their single speed run, because they did a run up and down wherever they were, I think in Florida this time, they did 286.1 miles per hour in one drag. And that beat the previous record of 285 miles per hour. So they do indeed now retain the title of fastest but it is a much narrower margin than originally stated much narrower margin it's unclear whether 
you know, they were also saying, well, you know, we were still down on power during these runs and this, that, and the other. I don't know what all that means. I didn't research it much further, but for now they hold it. And who knows, maybe there's still more in, in the motor that they can get out. I guess we'll see. Maybe it'll be future test runs. I think that it's a little disappointing that they didn't get over 300 miles per hour. I mean, all the, the hype machine was strong with this one. And when the, the video came out and all that other nonsense, amazing 300 miles an hour in a, in a street car on, on a road. Yeah, not not true. Not the case. This is, yeah. this is false news. You know where I'm putting my money, though? And they've been really, really quiet. Salantis. I'm, put- <laughs> <laughs> I'm putting my money on Bugatti with that new car that they're building. They keep showing us like pictures of it and videos, and it looks like the Batmobile. It pays homage to nothing. And it's really a step away for Volkswagen, the parent company, from the you know R8, Avis, you know, going all the way back that they, they've been reusing that chassis forever, that the Veyron and the Chiron, they were all built on basically the same car. This new Bugatti is a step in a different direction. You know, obviously it looks more like a Ferrari Enzo or, or a Lambo or something like that. And I think this is going to be the car that's going to go and try to break this record. I mean, the, the Veyron and the Chiron have always been up at the top, much like the Koenigsegg and whatnot. So I'm excited to see what comes next, because again, they've been very hush hush about the specs and the numbers in that car. And there's just been a lot of wind tunnel work. So bum, bum, bum. as we know, during the winter, not a lot of cars debut. It's just kind of quiet time, you know, especially with, you know, the conditions that we're still in, you know, with COVID and whatnot, there hasn't been a a lot of buzz in the car world. In the spring, when people can get out more, and in the summer, you're going to start to see a lot more things pop. But the Super Bowl, which happened here in February, is one of those bastions of car ads. We're always looking for the hot new, you know, commercial proposing the new car that nobody's seen, or you know, the next Jason Statham movie that's going to feature, you know, an Audi or a BMW or you know, whatever it might be. We won't talk about the game too much, but I wanted to really kind of hone in on who's saying what and who's showing off what's new. And I was really surprised that right off the bat, GM came out swinging. I saw Will Ferrell was doing some weird stuff and a weird accent with looking all scraggly and stuff. I don't know. That was okay. I didn't pay attention then. I don't know. (laughs) So that's okay. But in that commercial, there were, it was a two-parter and basically it's, Will Ferrell versus Norway, you know, GM for everyone, you know, also showcasing their new logo, which is very EV focused and whatnot. But you got the first shots, real shots of the Hummer and the Cadillac Lyric, which we talked about on a previous episode that Tanya went into detail of both of those cars, but you got to see them kind of running and driving and whatever. And they were both showcased uh, in those videos. So I thought that was pretty cool. Curious to see where that goes. As we mentioned before, both of those are $100,000 cars. I thought it was a little off to kind of throw them out there and you go, ooh, ah. And then if you start to do the research on them, people are going to be like, oh my God, you know, these are these are upper echelon vehicles. You know, how do we get into that market? Why are automakers gearing all these electric, building all these electric luxury cars? These 100,000 plus is, is, I guess they've done their market research and there's a demand in that segment uh, there's more of a demand in that segment than in the well 20 to 30,000 mile range like anything else the early adopters are always more affluent people and then they figure out a way to scale those down into the economy where then you end up with the econo boxes right so 
let's just say the technology that comes out in the Ferraris, they're going to put it out there. It's going to be expensive. And then it's going to find its way into the base model, you know, Fiat 126 or Fiat 500 or something like over time. I think it's a lot more challenging for people that are less affluent to enter the EV market, because if you've got a lot of money to burn, then you can be like, oh, I'm going to trade in my car. I just bought two years ago that barely has any miles and I'm going to upgrade to EV hotness that's out right now. Whereas you don't have a lot of money and you've still been running your Corolla for the last 10 years, chances are you're going to keep running your Corolla till forever for a good many number of years before you, you upgrade to something else. I'm definitely not going to be able to upgrade to some $80,000 Tesla because not at just the cost of the car, but if you have to put the charging infrastructure in your dwelling and if you don't have a home, like what if you live in an apartment where you park on the street or you park in a garage or a lot somewhere? I mean, it's I, a long really extension sure how, cable. I'm not really sure how. Yeah, exactly. A long <laughs> extension cable. I'm not sure how how you do that. So it, it is geared at the moment towards people that kind of have extra income that they can spend. They're going to market towards them. I mean, I guess it makes sense. As it becomes more commonplace, as sales go up, then slowly things level out. They bring in the entry-level vehicles, lower tiers that are more affordable for everybody. The litmus test here is Tesla. So Tesla selling the Model S at 90000 or or 100000 or whatever it is. And if you're trying to enter that market and be competitive, you're trying to be competitive with that car, right? Because that is the flagship. So I think everybody's going to come out the gate. And a lot of people have adopted Teslas and bought them. If you're willing to pay that kind of money, then the Cadillac's going to be priced like that. That, you know, the next, you know, thing that comes out is going to be priced the same way. So I think that's where they're at. And then, you know, obviously Tesla has made motions to try to make them more affordable with the Model 3 and the Model Y and stuff like that. But they're at a technological advantage because they've already pioneered it and they're scaling it down and everybody's trying to catch up. So we're going to see it happen, but I don't want it to be, you know, that there's the lyric and then we're back to the bolt again. Right. Because that is just too much of a, a disparity yeah, between the upper and lower. We yeah, exactly. Something in the mid range. Exactly. Well, there's already been news reported within the last week that, and it's not a lot, but still Tesla feeling pressure from the other manufacturers coming out with competition and lower priced cars, even if they're still, you know, way expensive, they're actually lowering the price on the Model Y and the, the Model 3 to um, compete. So, I mean, it's not like, oh, it dropped $10,000 or anything. I mean, it's a thousand here, a couple thousand there, because they're seeing that the other manufacturers coming out or have slightly more affordable. <laughs> Is that due to an increase in Home Depot parts? So it's gotten cheaper to manufacture them? <laughs> I don't know. Have you been shopping at Home Depot lately? Ever since COVID, everybody's shopping parts. Are That's scarce. true. Price of plywood. So I would think prices would go up because the demand is high. Exactly. So let's talk about some of the other ads that were during the Super Bowl. I actually thought for once that the car ads were very sparse. The ones that were there were just kind of like, it almost felt like the general ads you would see on, you know, watching like Rolex or something that we'll talk about later. Like the typical weather tech ads, there was a Paralympics ad with Toyota, which had nothing to do with Toyotas other than their sponsorship. There was a car shield ad, which I'm, I'm still confused on how car shield works, but it, it involved, you know, it involved Ric Flair and Ice-T and it's all this, woo, ah, yo, you know, as they're like, <laughs> whatever. Is that that undercarriage protection that they sell you at the dealership? No, no, that's something else. Car Shield is like this. 
it's like an insurance policy for repairs. Like you pay into this thing so that you don't have to pay. Like if your transmission blows out, you're paying a, uh, a premium or whatever it might be, whatever the difference is. And then they take care of the rest. I mean, I don't know. It, it doesn't work for me, but it probably works for a lot of people. But that commercial was interesting because it was like a Zoom call and, you know, you got all these celebrities on there. And then at the end, you're like, what did I just watch? But that's typical of most Super Bowl ads. The other ones that were in there were the, you know, Hyundai Tucson ad, which just felt like a regular old dealership ad. It must've been like a local one or whatever. And I, I was, you know, not compelled in any way, but then there were three more that were actually interesting. Another Cadillac lyric ad, but it was a riff on Edward Scissorhands, the movie with Johnny Depp from back in the, you know, late eighties, early nineties. And it was Edgar Scissorhands. And it was all about like hands-free driving and like how he finally gets to drive a car because the Cadillac will drive itself. And I got to the end of that and I was like, well, I get it. I don't know if everybody else did, but it, it was cute, but it really, I don't know. I don't know that it sold me on the Cadillac because that whole autonomous driving thing, as we've talked about a million times, it works, it doesn't work. It's you know? false advertising. It's yeah, it, totally autonomous. Exactly. And, you know, guys falling asleep on the Tesla in Canada doing 180 kilometers or whatever it was, <laughs> you know, all that kind of thing. I was left like, yeah, okay. But I didn't get it because then there was all this big deal about like, oh, the big deal, this commercial with the actor and all. And I'm like, I don't understand. At first, yeah. I didn't know who the actor was. I mean, Winona Ryder was in the passenger seat. I got that. Yeah. But then I didn't understand the specialty of Edgar. And it's like, yeah. Okay, so now, now I got to go watch this. Now, yeah, now I, mean, I got to find it. I get it. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, like, was this Edward Scissorhands' son? I don't understand. I believe it was. I don't know. I mean, for me, I thought it would have been more entertaining with with, uh, Johnny Depp, you know, surfing the roof of the lyric, like Pirates of the Caribbean and then crashing it into a dock. I think that would have probably been more interesting, but whatever, you know. Maybe they couldn't get Johnny to to, uh, reprise his role. I think that was part of the problem. Probably would have made more sense to just have the older Edward Scissorhands as it progresses with the time world you know exactly the next one that had me confused but was very like pulling at the heartstrings was the middle of nowhere commercial with bruce springsteen and the jeep wranglers it's a very strange commercial because you're not sure if it's politically charged or if it's or what the message is it all surrounds the 80th anniversary of jeep and they're highlighting the the wrangler obviously because you know that style of jeep is what really set it all off did they have footage of a jeep atop a mountain biking trail in northern california did they have that footage negative (laughs) but it was very slow it was just very off but in the same token you were very drawn into it and very engaged and then when you got to the end there was just a slow fade kind of american flag you know jeep logo thing and you're like okay well well that's cool all right i guess i'll learn something new today (laughs) and then three days later the ad is completely scrapped because bruce springsteen was charged with a DWI or they found out that he was charged with a DWI like a couple weeks before this ad came out. Yeah. So that commercial's gone. Find it on YouTube. Well, that, 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 that's a shame. It's not the first time that Chrysler has done something like this either. I don't know if you remember back when the Chrysler 200 came out, it was imported from Detroit, I think was the whole thing. And they had Clint Eastwood and, and all that good stuff. I mean, that, that, I mean, they, they try to tug at the American heartstrings quite a bit in their advertising campaigns, especially with Jeep. I mean, I figured, um, I figured the next commercial will be set in Paris and it'll have a, it'll have subtitles because it'll all be in French. So, well, because you know, it's going to be directed by Woody Allen. 
<laughs> there would be a Citroen DS that's like the beginning of the commercial. You're like, what are we watching here? But anyway, speaking of cars and speaking of drinking, the last one, the one that really got me, the one I thought was the best Super Bowl commercial of all. I was, was wondering if you were going to bring this up. Oh, heck yeah, dude. For two reasons. One, I think it's going to be a disgusting flavor, which is the new watermelon <laughs> Mountain Dew, right? That is just two things that don't go together and I have a hard time even getting it out. But that Geo Metro convertible driven by John Cena had me on the floor just cracking up. I, I literally, I saw it roll out and I was immediately like, yeah, the Geo has achieved celebrity status finally. Now it's a God awful paint job, you know, with it, it's watermelon colored on the outside and on the inside. But I just thought that was epic. Yeah, that was, I knew you'd like that commercial. <laughs> when that car is sold at auction, how much are we willing to pay to get it for the club? Then for zero dollars, Bob. Fifty bucks. I'm I'm in it for fifty bucks. And Hazmat, if you're listening, that is the ultimate Geo Metro convertible. It's got your name written all over it. God, that is disgusting looking. And yeah, oh my God, it looks like Pepto. Pretty much. It's going to be Pep- Pepto Bismol Dew. But with effervescence, right? With effervescence. <laughs> so let's get away from the Super Bowl commercials. I think we nailed that. There was another bit of news that we need to follow up on. So Tanya. Well, it was, a, I think, originally a clickbait article. <laughs> but what the article is, is the headline is a Toyota GR Yaris. Yay. Laps faster than Nissan R35 GTR Nismo. Asterix, <laughs> only by four tenths of a second on a short flat track under wet conditions. Yes, in the rain. I was waiting for the in the rain. I knew it was coming. <laughs> it was backwards on this track at night in the rain. The oh, Yaris yes. One. And uh, Michael Schumacher was driving the Yaris and an amateur was driving the Nismo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And never, never. <laughs> um, I don't know. Apparently, that's some track in uh, South Wales. <laughs> That no one's ever heard of. <laughs> no one's ever heard of. If you've heard of Landau Circuit. Um, oh, that's in Project Cars 3. So I have heard of that. Yes. Okay. So there you go. You can get on Project Cars and uh, test drive it for yourself. Maybe they have a Yaris in, in Project Cars. Eric, um, I'm seeing a, a virtual rematch of this. Which one do you want? You want the GR Yaris or do you want the Nismo? Uh, (laughs) can i I detune the nismo so it actually makes boost i think that's part of the problem you put that thing on a short track it can't get out of its own way well interestingly the track map is an oval basically like i mean it it looks like it had two pretty long well quote long straights i don't know what the how many miles 500 feet (laughs) the whole track is an eighth mile (laughs) (laughs) maybe but uh i mean it had some like really low speed um corner kinks and things like that but you would have thought, I guess, that any straight would be enough for the 600 plus horsepower or whatever the, the GTR is to outperform the little 300 horse, some odd horsepower Yaris. I mean, the Yaris does way less. But Nimbler. I, I, they're both four wheel drive. I mean, you I'm can run that Yaris flat out on that track. I mean, that's the advantage. It comes out the average speed, right? When you're yeah. trying to do something like that. Yeah. I'm not going to say I'm impressed. Let's redo this on a big track, you know, a VIR or a Watkins Glen or Laguna Seca or something. And I, I unfortunately hate to say that I think the Yaris is going to get crushed. Oh, it will. No doubt. I mean, hundred percent. And it can't, the GTR has twice the horsepower and twice the torque or whatever. I mean, there's, there's no way it's going to compete, but I mean, even there's hot hatch fights with the Yaris and, you know, the most recent 
John Cooper works mini and the mini beats it. There's no way the, the GTR is ever going to win. But, well, in the case of the new Golf R, the Yaris wouldn't get around it because it's so big. There's no space to pass it on the track, you know. You could fit the Yaris in the back of it. Maybe you just bump draft it to make the golf faster. But, but here's the real question. Here's the, the $87 question. Which would you rather have, the Yaris or the Nismo GTR? Yaris. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> I would run the hell out of that thing. So let's let's switch gears. Let's talk about some retro cars like we always do. So first of all, I don't know why you're calling this car retro. I guess the fact that it's not made anymore, even though it was only a couple years ago, makes it retro. But that's like turning on the, the classic rock station and hearing Nirvana. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. So yes, 2020 sale numbers have come out from Chrysler. And they sold a whopping four brand new 2017 Dodge Vipers in 2020. So let that sink in a little bit. The car was discontinued in 2017. Last one rolled off the the factory line. These four cars, four of them, have been sitting around dealer lots for three years. I guess someone saw it come out in 2017. They were like, you know what? I'm going to save up for that. Three years later, they were able to buy it. It begs the question, how many Vipers are still sitting on dealership? That is a fantastic question. I would love to find that out. But just so you know, year prior, they sold five. Dang. I know, right? If you go around and see a a brand new Dodge Viper at a dealership, buy it. Increase their numbers. Maybe they'll bring it back. What's even better is it sold more, Chrysler did, or Stellantis now, sold more Vipers than the Ram van, the Ram cargo van or whatever, which sold one. (laughs) that's hilarious so if you think about how many cars are sold in the united states on a yearly basis how many cars are produced the ram van sold one i want to what i want to do for gtm for brake fix is i want to find that ram van owner and i want to interview him so why out of all the choices did you buy a ram van because it tows (laughs) <laughs> because it tows because it, it, it may it may tow it was probably brett, brett he Ball. bought it because there weren't any more ford transits available at the dealership next door but also it gets even better the viper also outsold the jeep patriot which sold three <laughs> <laughs> the best part about that is the jeep patriot was discontinued a year before the viper so out there sitting on brand new jeep patriots that's like the scrap metal guy sitting on the metal going it's going to go up in value soon (laughs) so what i want to know what i'm going to do some investigative journalism and for the next drive-thru i'm going to find out how many brand new hhr (laughs) (laughs) i'm going to find out how many brand new chevrolet hhrs you can go out and buy on dealership lots right now i bet i'll have that research for you by the next drive-thru i bet there are some out there oh my goodness meanwhile speaking of vipers speaking of vipers apparently what do you do with that new viper that you buy well you gotta mod it right and if you're familiar with some of the more famous japanese tuners and modders out there i mean we've all seen the rwb 911s and wide body cars that are out there and stuff like that there's a gentleman in Japan that took it to a whole new level. He took one of those remaining Vipers and turned it into a wide body dually. <laughs> and then to make things even more interesting, gave it a patriotic U.S. Army Jeep 
livery. Needless to say, I mean, I love the Viper. This is a little bit sacrilegious in my opinion. And it does kind of look like a funky Miata build after it was all said and done, like it was done in somebody's backyard. It, it is just, I don't, I don't know what to think, but you know, Hey, go army, beat Navy. <laughs> I usually hate stuff like this, but I have to say, I think it actually looks kind of cool. I would never do it. I would never drive it. But the fact that it exists, I think it's kind of cool. I think the guy thought he was buying a Jeep. And, and the Viper just showed up in his driveway and they look, like, eh, whatever. They, they just look so similar. I mean, just from the, you know, they from, do. From, they're built from on the, the same back. platform. Yeah. You know, it's all the same stuff. <laughs> you heard the motors were the same. <laughs> but would you rather have this or an HHR? Oh, that's a hard, that's a hard choice. Can I go back to the Yaris? Because I was okay with that. <laughs> the answer, the answer is no longer Miata. The answer is Gazoo Racing Yaris. 100%. Well, what does Tanya think? Oh, of that hideous abomination? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of the Viper. (laughs) You know, it, in terms of, you know, engineering and just the fact that he pulled it off, I mean, it's interesting, but I I like how the article says you could have done this for half the price just starting with the Miata. (laughs) So (laughs) we could have spared the Viper and killed a Miata. I don't know how well engineered it is because it looks like they used Pep Boy parts You're and in Home Depot. There's probably some duct tape in there. There's copper piping somewhere, I'm sure. Hey, so the build like quality is right there with Tesla though. So we're good. We're good, right? Exactly. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> there's no words. Uh, why, I mean, why? Why not? Exactly. Because send it. So speaking of sending it. Porsche. You all know they make cars for the longest time, tried replacing the 911 with a front engine rear wheel drive car called the 928. You all remember that car came out in 1977. You know, big V8, decent power, Grand Tour. They were trying to replace the 911. 911 purists poo-pooed that idea, said no way, Jose. So they were going to try and turn the 928 into something else. In 1987, they created a prototype with the help of American Sunroof Company to create a four-door 928, which, you know, as we all know, eventually came out as the Panamera like 20 years later. But mm-hmm. back in the 80s, they tried this idea. They gave it 330 horsepower, five liter V8. They handed it off to American Sunroof Company to stretch it and give it, you know, two little coach doors. That company had done work with Porsche before for the convertible 944s and things of that nature. And they were going to try and make a 928 line. Well, they only made one because by the time it was done, Porsche had some change at the leadership. Uh, The CEO at the time was ousted. They brought a new uh, CEO in. Instead, they scrapped the car. They scrapped a whole bunch of other projects and everything to become leaner and meaner. And eventually they, you know, started making Porsche profitable or whatever, but they created this one-off 928 four-door, which looks okay. I mean, for a four-door pacer, sure. It's fantastic. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Well, it's rumored that the gentleman that designed the 928 back in the 70s took his inspiration from the pacer. So I make that joke with some actual truth behind it. Well, you know, because they, they had that guy on Top Gear and he, he did his little interview or whatever, they were looking at the lines on the 928. They had one in studio and he actually pointed that out. It's like, we looked at the pace of our inspiration. That is, that is something to be inspired by, you know? (laughs) But so they made the one, it was given to the CEO or the owner of American Sunroof Company and it's sold at auction 
for a whopping, are you, are you sitting down? Are you ready for this? Are you ready? $44,000. I bet you thought I was going to say million dollars. Nope. You would be incorrect. $44,000. You can buy a Golf R or you can buy a four-door 928. Somebody paid $43,999 too much. $43,950 too much. Exactly. I would have still given them 50 bucks for $1, it at the Bob. end of the day. $1. But 50 in, bucks. But in the meantime, the, the project was scrapped. They made the one. Porsche directed their attention to working with Mercedes on the what is now revered 500E, which is a four-door sedan based on the E-Class. It's a, actually a really cool car, very rare and power. It's a Mercedes E-Class with a Porsche drivetrain. supposed to be really cool. But even today, Porsche should just tip their hat to Mercedes and say, you guys know how to build a sedan and we're going to stop doing that because the Panamera, oh, never mind. I mean, it looks definitely the grandchild or the, the son of son or daughter of the 928 prototype single production 928 wagon. I mean, it looks better. It still looks like hot trash and Porsche and Ferrari and all those kind of people should never have a four-door model car in their lineup personally, but that's a different story. But clearly somebody at Porsche has had the picture probably of that wagon 928 on their office wall this whole time. And finally was like, now's our moment, Panamera. And they were like, yes, we finally get to release it. Boo, boo, boo. Let's circle back to another retro car that you might be able to get your hands on. Yeah, so if you are into Rally and into Ford or into one of them or neither of them, I don't know. What's Rally? What's Rally? Stop, stop it, stop it. A UK company called Motorsport Tools is building new street legal version of the legendary Mark II Escort that won WRC. What's WRC? <laughs> don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> The WRC championship back in 1981. And I mean, I like squarish bodied small cars and square with round lights is also particularly attractive. And this checks all those boxes. So how much fun would it be to tool around in this car? This also goes back to the EU gets all the cool stuff followed by when is the Capri coming back? Sign me up. And this can be yours for a mere $90,000. Oh, dang. Oh. So would you rather spend $44,000? <laughs> no, no, I would not. <laughs> God. HHR or $90,000 Mark II Ford Escort? GR Yaris. I'm going back yet again. I'm, I'll spend 40 grand on the Toyota before I do that. <laughs> Well, I guess we've wrapped up our industry news and now it's time to jump in to our <laughs> our cutting edge EV section known as Jolt Cola. So Tanya, take us away. Well, at long last, the Audi e-tron GT has finally arrived. Ah. <laughs> I'm salivating. It's like it's like a Pavlovian thing. You said Audi and GT. That was it. I mean, you had me at Audi GT since I have one. <laughs> but, but the problem is there's e-tron in the middle there. Uh, That's the part you didn't hear. 
Well, there's that. And there's the fact that the standard e-tron starts at $99,900, which is quite a bit far above my uh, price range. I'm just cutting to the chase here. You can get the Prestige Edition for $107,100, or the RS will set you back a mere $139,900. All this can be yours and more. Stay tuned. I take issue with this car, not because it's ugly or anything like that. It's a, it's a fantastic looking car. The proportions are right. It's a cool EV. I'm down with it. The price isn't even the problem. The bigger issue I take with it is it doesn't pay any sort of homage to the cars that bore the GT badge. And that comes from the original Quattro lineage, right? The Type 80 cars, the 4000 series, all those. They were, let's face it, fat Chiracos, you know, <laughs> in some respects, Jujaro designed, you know, all that kind of stuff. It doesn't carry the badge well. I could see it as the new A7. I could see it as the new Audi 100 from back in the day, like the 100 four-door and the 100 coupe and stuff like that. It's a weird sticking point for me, I guess, as an Audi purist. I still want to see the real Coupe GT or the UR Quattro come back. They've been teasing that for a while. They called it the S1 a couple of times, which is also kind of a weird misnomer because of the rally car and things like that. I think it's cool. I would just love to see something a little bit more affordable and, you know, whatever. Name, names are one thing, but it is, it is a gorgeous car. I, I can't deny that. I don't know if I 100% agree with you and I'd have to see it in person because photos are always misleading. Unfortunately, they pay homage to those cars and they're never going to do it. They have to, it has to be far more square than this one is. And I don't see them really doing that in these modern times. Only Chrysler can do that. Only Chrysler can make square cars go fast. <laughs> But if it's not, and I haven't looked into how long the car is, if it's not long, like an A8 or an A7 or something like that, then I'm feeling a little bit more comfortable. Because if it's something that's short, then to me, that is paying a little bit more tribute to the original Quattro and, and GT Coupes and, and cars of that nature. Because the back, that slope of the rear glass and the trunk looks very short. It doesn't have some wide rear end sticking out from the back tires. So that is a little more 90 Coupe Quattro GT Coupe or, or the URQ styling. The pictures are deceiving. So this thing is like 157 feet long or something. <laughs> It's an A6, right? It's like a yacht. <laughs> then it's kind of like, all right, it's just every other Audi in their lineup. But if this is kind of like a very compact, short car, then it makes me feel good. And it is very stunning looking. Yeah. I wish it was more affordable. So not to leave out the details, apparently I think it's the, I guess this is the standard version, mated two-speed transmission, setup is capable of delivering 469 horsepower, 464 foot-pounds of torque. Apparently there's an overboost feature that you can engage, which jumps those numbers to 522 and 472. And that gives it the ability to zoom from zero to 60 in just 3.9 seconds. And it tops out apparently at 152 miles an hour. You know what that reminds me of? And, it, and it's for the IT nerds out there of a, of a certain age. It reminds me of the, the PCs in the old days that had the turbo button. They oh would like, God. they would overclock, right? It's like the equivalent, like you just hit that button and you're super boost, you know? I guess is, that, is that like the, uh, what is it? The uh, ludicrous mode button or something? Equivalent? <laughs> 
so so the rs package adds 121 horsepower so it's outputting 590 horsepower and 612 foot pounds of torques before overboost which brings it up to uh 637 horsepower but Dang. still 612 foot pounds of torque you're leaving out an important fact it weighs like 5,100 pounds, right? Whoa. So the RS, yes, weighs between 5,060 to 5,139 pounds. Good yeah. God. So I think that weighs more than your Jeep, Eric. Uh, it does, as a matter of fact. My Jeep is sub 5,000 pounds, so yes. It's two, it's two of my GT coupes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those cars weighed 2,400 pounds when they were new. 2,500 pounds, barely. So that's why it costs so much, because you're getting a lot of car. <laughs> that's some road-hugging weight right there, as Ford used to say. Good night. So you all know there was a new C8 that came out last year? Yeah, I don't. we don't talk about that car at all. No, no. Apparently, if you, if you missed it, you know, there was a new C8, mid-engine, rear-wheel drive, V8, you know, all that good stuff. They're releasing some new, some different versions, you know, to come in the coming years. There's a Z06 in development. Sadly, there is not a Grand Sport. Really? Dead. There's going to be a hybrid C8 called the E-Ray. The E-Ray. <laughs> e oh, I like it. Like the E-Ray. E-Ray. E okay, yeah. I get it's it. The electric it. eel. Yeah. I, I see. I see what they did there. The E-Ray. I'm not yeah. sure if I like it, but I get it. Don't have a lot of specs on it, but it's allegedly going to have all-wheel drive. The hybrid system is going to mate to the stock 6.2 liter v8 so you know fun times to be had in the c8 hybrid it's probably going to be just like the tahoe hybrid just the big honking v8 with like a little itty bitty like tornado sized you know electric motor just to say it's a hybrid can i rename it i want to call it the esx is that okay because i mean it looks exactly like the nsx so why why not right nah, because I'm acura already that. has a hybrid nsx <laughs> It's called the NSX. And speaking of that, if you guys haven't seen, and we're going to post a link to it, Chip Foose recently did a redesign of the C8. And love it or hate it, in terms of his design style and whatnot, it's worth watching. It's sponsored by Haggerty, and you're, it's a time-lapse recording of him redesigning the C8 right there in front of you in his studio. And I thought it was fascinating on multiple levels, but I would say go check it out. Leave your comments if you want on Instagram for us or on the show notes or whatever, because I'm really curious to see what people think about Chip's interpretation of the C8 and trying to make it pull some of the lineage of the previous Corvettes and get it to look a little less like an NSX or a Ferrari or some of the other cars he talks about uh, in his monologue. So just wanted to throw that in there for something else to do after you know reviewing this episode. So what you're saying is Chevrolet did not reach out and uh, consult with a world-class automotive designer like Chip Foos to design their new Corvette? Negative Ghost Rider. <laughs> not surprised. <laughs> I will say, I think we need to switch gears back to Tanya a little bit here and talk about one of the slowest drag races I've ever seen. But there's no gears to shift in an electric car. <laughs> so there is a video out there and it's in Italian, but there's English subtitles for those that do not speak the Italian language. It's uh, I think like a eight or 10 minute video, something like that. It takes that long to do the quarter mile, but yeah. So it's a drag race of Fiat 500s through the various decades. So there's four Fiat 500s that are pitted up against each other. There's the original Fiat 500. There's the 1995 500 Sporting. 
There is the 2015 Fiat 500, which it's the European version. So it's the 1.2 liter and not the 1.4 liter that came to the US. And then there is the new Fiat 500e. <laughs> and so they pit all four of these together in a couple drag races. And knowing that they were drag racing all these cars together, I already knew the outcome of the race, right? The original one, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. While yes. the 500E was pushing it, yeah. It was opposite day, so it was who finished the drag race last. So, so you're absolutely right, actually. There were two knowns going into this. One, that the original 500 was going to lose, and that the electric 500 was going to win. Those two were quite obvious. So the video, you know, confirms all this. However, what I found far more fascinating, I mean, the whole thing was fascinating, but Far more fascinating was the race going on between the 1995 Cinquecento Sporting, the 500 Sporting, and the 2015 Fiat 500. I mean, the Fiat 500, spoiler alert, it still won, but it was a close freaking race. Yeah. And the, the Fiat 500, the 1.2 liter, only has 68 horsepower, and it weighs 1,900 pounds. The 500 Sporting has 54 horsepower. It does weigh less. It weighs 1620. So it's got about 300 pounds on it, but I mean, it kept up. So the best part of that is if you've never seen those early nineties Cinquecentos, it's a shopping cart with a roof on it. Okay, That's exactly the design. There's nothing to it. It is a box with four wheels. I have had the displeasure of driving my grandfather's base version of that, which was an Alto Bianchi Y10. It's an, it's an 1000 CC version of that car. Brad would take up the entirety of the interior, right? Versus two of us would be shoulder to shoulder and we'd be squeezed in this little shopping cart. It's a car that you can't drive it not at 9,000 RPM. And then you're still rowing the gears to make it move because it's like a lawnmower engine in that thing. So when I saw that race, I mean, I was cheering on that little car off the line. It I mean, he, he jumped. I was like, dang, this is going to be really cool. And then it was like, by the time he hit fifth gear, it was over. At that time he was going slower. <laughs> it, had, it had a launch on the 2015. Yeah, it was, was close. Surprising. Well, all I've got to say is the lack of Abarth in this article disturbs yeah. me. Yeah. Well, again, I would have liked to have seen the Abarth 1.4 multi-air in there just to mix it up and see what it would do. I bet it's a lot closer to the 500E in terms of performance, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. It is more powerful. It's making closer to like 200 horse or whatever that thing makes. So, so 500 Abarth or Gazoo Racing Yaris? Gazoo Racing Yaris. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, because Tanya's kind of, would be an Italian purist, I would think. So I, I would have picked her to choose the Fiat. Man, that's that's tough. But I think, I don't know, I really want to drive that Yaris. <laughs> if I have to, okay, if I have to make a compromise, I would take the Punto SS, which is slightly bigger. It's a proper hatchback and everything, and it makes more power than the 500. So that would be more in line with the GR Yaris if I had to go Fiat. But that's not a card that they sell here, so. What was also funny in the video was after they were done doing their the couple drag pulls that they did, and then he talked about how the the finishing was like opposite to the sound. Oh yeah, <laughs> the, the sound uh, 
performance was like the opposite order and so then they played like the in-car like pull sounds and it was like the worst sounding of course was the ev because it sounds like nothing whistling nothing they did they didn't pump in any artificial exhaust no they didn't but then i mean they ranked it as like the loudest was the original fiat 500 decibels i don't think it was the best sounding actually i think the sporting was the best sounding as it was railing through the gears it's very throat very throaty for a 1200 but that's but then again it's also doing like 8500 rpm to get it to move i mean it's not so they didn't they didn't do any emissions testing either (laughs) no little video um if you're interested in those those type of cars check it out let's talk blue oval so then of course there's all the buzz lately and and there's more news coming out and they're finally here and some of them you know small amount are in dealers ships already and i'm sure there's people you know like very excited to get the ones they pre-ordered what are we talking about the mustang mach e so Ford, uh, strike that we don't yeah, call it the mustang anymore it's, it's, it's just Ford the Mach-E. Mach-E. yes well that was for different reasons that's pretty smart and but we, we won't get into that but yes it is still technically i believe the mustang maki but for all intents and purposes people just refer to it as as the maki because it is aesthetically very different than what people are accustomed to with the historical iconic pony card it's very similar to what srt4 owners are doing with their neons (laughs) the neon srt4 is not the neon srt4 to neon srt4 purists it's just the srt4 they don't want to be linked to the neon where this people don't want to link whatever this thing is to the mustang so and i will make a suggestion so ford if you're listening brilliant campaign to try to go get that jeep off the side of that cliff in california let's use that person to rename this car the puma let's carry that name over from europe or maybe the cougar or something else to differentiate it from the mustang i think it should be the eagle high the eagle eye hammer thrust uh just let's not call it the ka because that would not work in new jersey new york or massachusetts I mean, they can go with, if they want to keep with horses, they can just go with stallion. We can't call it the Pinto because we know how that's going to end. Well, it's, it's more like a Clydesdale. <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate, as this thing is actually real now, you know, um, and with all EVs, the, the whole range saga is, is a big thing. And people, you know, everything's always compared against Tesla because they were basically the first. So they're kind of the benchmark. How does it compare? Da, da, da. And the range figures are, are out for now. I, I don't think they're not all the variants of the Maki, I think, are fully published because the California trim and there's one other trim. I can't remember what it is right now. They I don't think they finalized what the range numbers are. And I think the California should have the highest mileage range. But the standard range all-wheel drive is clocking in right now at 211 miles. The standard range are real-wheel drive, 230. The extended range all-wheel drive, 270. And the extended range rear-wheel drive is 300 miles. So those are EPA ratings. If you take the extended range all-wheel drive, the 300 miles is short of what the Tesla Model Y can do by, I think, like 26 miles or something like that. But that's not even fair because the Tesla Model Y is all-wheel drive, and now we're comparing real-wheel drive with all-wheel drive, 
if you compare the all-wheel drive model, it's 270 versus a 326. So it, it's falling short. What I want to know is how does this, how do they change in the frozen tundra of Texas right now? Some things you see when you're reading about the battery life and, and all that is it's not necessarily the cold itself that is detrimental to the battery, which I don't know that I fully agree with some of those arguments because I think there's been proof that batteries are impacted by the cold weather, but I don't know the significance of that impact. A lot of what happens in the cold weather is because of people are cold and so they turn the heat on. And unfortunately in an electric car, some of the battery power has to be diverted to heat the inside of the car. In a gasoline or an ice vehicle, the heat's a byproduct of the combustion of the engine. And so it, it's free, basically, in a way, it's kind of free energy, right? Like the, the fact that your car is running, it's creating heat, that heat is pushed into the cabin and whatnot, very simplistically, right? And, and that's what gives you the warmth. But in an electric car, you have to use precious battery resources, if you will. So in the meantime, you're driving at night, it, it's cold, you got the heat on, you got your headlights on, you got the radio radio blasting the wipers you probably, you probably got your seat warmers on and the steering wheel warmer and you got the infotainment system going and you know god knows what else that all is the battery right whereas at least in an ice car the heat component is separate it's not draining the battery like all the other things batteries put off heat they overheat i mean they can overheat and everything isn't there a way there's no way to harness that somehow there is some facet of liquid cooling going on i just don't know what those radiators and that heat exchange level is like i think at best even if you put a blower across it like a standard heater core it's going to be tepid it's not going to be hot because the water in in an ice engine whether it be gas or diesel it's close to boiling so it's very easy to produce heat at at any level right And, and do all that kind of stuff i don't think the batteries are probably generating enough heat at all to do anything they generate enough heat to catch fire because if it did produce that much heat i think bad things would be happening (laughs) you'd definitely be warm at that point so back to the maki range numbers so yes they they don't look horrible they're not you know 100 mile range or anything crazy like that but the more interesting thing is there's a separate article that's recently come out that's saying that these epa rating numbers are understated so the maki performs better than what the EPA is saying. So apparently Edmonds did their own, and they do their own independent studies and surveys and whatnot. And what they found when they tested the all-wheel drive um, extended range version is that it didn't get 270 miles. It got 304 miles on a single battery charge. So now the all-wheel drive is knocking on the door of its true competitor, the Model Y. But kind of with that logic, if the rear wheel drive extended range is also understated, then could it see closer to 330 miles? It could at the very least meet, but then even possibly slightly beat what the Model Y is doing. So that's pretty exciting. And another note in the article to quote them directly is that interestingly, Edmonds notes that every Tesla model it tested failed to deliver the numbers estimated by the EPA. So there's a, like a history there where And I think I've seen this in different articles too, where Tesla numbers are overstated and they don't actually perform to what the number is versus even the Tacan is another good example where everyone was in outrage over like the abysmal miles that it gave. And then when it was actually tested in the real world by somebody else, not the EPA, it 
did like twice as good, twice as well, went twice as far or whatever, right? That's a long-standing VAG card that they play. They did that a lot in the early 2000s with like the S4s where they understated the horsepower. And then when people actually tested them, they were making 30 more horsepower than what was on paper. I think from the VAG family, it's one of these like cautious moves to say, well, we're guaranteed if we build it, we're always going to be able to attain this number. But if you're able to get 20% over, good for you, but we're guaranteeing this number, right? And they can hold to that. And then they're not liable to say, well, you know, you said it was 240 and it's really 220. They'd rather be like, it's 240. And in real life, it does 280, you know, or whatever. But then they just use a cheat device by Bosch if they're not getting the numbers. Dang, a sick burn. And that's fine. I get there's there's reasons for doing that or whatnot. I think the importance or significance of this is that people shouldn't get too excited yet over the range numbers until these cars are out there and people are, they're being tested more and, and, and whatnot. And then let, let's see really how it chips fall, right? Because everything is always, well, the Tesla, the Tesla, the Tesla, the Tesla. Well, give these guys a chance here to breathe and get out on the road and show us what we can really do. And, and you know what? If they're matching the Tesla numbers, uh-oh. Yeah, and the price point is right. And the it, price it'll price point is right. And quite honestly, I'm not what the, is the price biggest point? Ford fan, but the Mach-E, I mean, hands down, is more attractive than the Teslas, in my opinion, but that, you know, to each their own. I saw it at the DC Auto Show last year. I think it's a gorgeous car. I think Ford's going in the right direction. I, I think they might struggle with the Blue Oval Loyals, right, that are used to their Mustangs and, and all the trucks and everything. But I think there's going to be a contingent of those that are going to sign up and say, hey, I'm not interested in leaving Ford. I want to stay with you. Now you have something that's comparable to the Tesla. And then once you start seeing them on the road, that's usually the cascade effect. You just see more and more and more of them. They they made the right move with the Bronco. I'm now starting to see them on the road. And that was very popular. It was very well received. And I think the Mach-E, if they position it correctly and they market it right, it's going to take off. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm applauding Ford for that. Ford at the moment, the opportunity for more marketing gold is just like fire hose down their face, I think right now. Because if you look at the recent events that have happened across the state of Texas with the winter storm that came through in February of 2021, if you're listening to this later and you don't know what (laughs) what month that happened, Ford called up a bunch of dealers apparently down throughout Texas and said, hey, your F-150 hybrids, electrics that you've got sitting on the lot, send them out to people so they can use them as generators to power their home. Oh, Ford built tough, Ford America, Ford helping, Ford getting used yeah, and we times. and we talked about that. We we're like, who's ever going to use that? Why would they ever use that? And now we have this application for it, which makes total sense. So, and so good now on Ford. People, there's a real world <laughs> application and circumstance that happened where people might people that were against Ford EVs that are the diehard, I want my gas, diesel, guzzling, whatever, they might go, oh, wait, wait a second. Maybe this little electric thing ain't all that bad. I don't know. We'll see what happens. Maybe this will cause an an uptick in, in sales for Ford. On the other side of the pond, while Stellantis is being born out of, you know, like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> the other large French contingent that owns several Japanese companies and many other, you know, corporations down the line, known to many of us as Renault, has put out a rendering of what a potential R5 EV would look like. Now, there's really no specs on this car. It's really an artist rendering of the classic R5 Turbo 2 rally car. And I will say, I love, the, it. When you, I love all these. 
Yeah, it's fantastic. So when you guys see the pictures on the follow on article to this episode, you can take a look at it for yourselves. If you haven't already seen it, it's done in the elf livery, right, which is the French petroleum company from way back in the 80s. It's a black, yellow and white combination. I think the car looks fantastic. I like the squareness of it. I think the R5 really lends itself to an EV. And I'm excited to see this come out. And I think Good on Renault, right? We got the new Nissan 400 coming out. We got all these other cars. I think this is right up their alley and they could make a move to kind of come against the mega muscle machine that's going to be Stellantis with, with SRT and all these other things. So I think this is really cool to take them on head on, but also take it from an EV perspective. Meanwhile, Hyundai has decided to put out something known as the Ionic version five or Ionic five. It's just another EV kind of hot hatch looking thing. I guess we're expected to see this on the shores. The Ionic was here for a while in a previous version, yeah, that's but, what it, I thought. but it, it, it wasn't very popular. You don't see too many on the roads. Every once in a while I see one and at a far, you're like, is that a, like a Elantra yeah. or something? Yeah. Prius. You're like, what is that? And then you, you see the badge and you're like, Huh? It's kind of like the Scion IQ that came out, you know, all those cars, you're like, what, what are we talking about here? But they came out with a new version. Again, they're trying to break into that smaller compact space with EVs, the hot hatch EV friendly, you know, things of that nature. So I'm curious to see where that goes and, and what it finally looks like outside of the, you know, the spy photos and things that they've put, you know, the marketing photos that they've put out of, of the car. Well, the renderings are very different than what I would expect from a Hyundai to look Correct. Like. And the Hyundais that have come out right now, like the new Sonata and, and the Elantra and stuff, I'm, I don't know about you guys, I'm not a big fan of those weird headlights that kind of look like reverse check marks, like going up the hood. And there's a lot of LED stuff going on. So I thought this car, you could argue, was tame in comparison to what they're putting out right now. But I think it's more in line with the e-Golf and the ID4 and the Renault and all these things that are, are being positioned right now. So I, I think it's better looking than some of the stuff that they're, they're currently pushing. If the photo of its front is going to be anything true to how it actually looks, it, it kind of looks like a BMW because the way they have the headlights, they've got essentially two on each side that are, they're not full circles, but they're, mm -hmm. they're half squares actually. Yeah. Reminiscent yeah. of like the old E30s and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in interesting. And then we won't talk about BMW, but I will say this because it's not EV related. Those new Star Trek looking front ends that the BMWs have, we could have an entire episode on those by themselves. So I'm just going to leave them there, love it or hate it. I have heard though, that it is on purpose to get people's knee jerk reaction to really pay attention to BMW, these new just gaping open fish mouths that they're putting on the front of the cars. It's not the uh, first time they've done that either. They, no. they did that back in, I guess, 2004 or five with the, the seven series. The yeah. Seven the bank, the bangle BMWs. Yeah. Yeah. So Brad, I see that another luxury brand is coming to the EV market. Yep. Rolls Royce. Rolls Royce is coming to the EV market with the vision next 100 concept. And it looks to me like something out of the, the 30s. The old gangsta cars, fenders that aren't part of the car, but are part of the car and luggage storage system right behind the, the wheel. And it looks like something out of Batman the Animated Series, like when they would exaggerate those old gangster cars. Yeah. And when I saw the video for it and stuff, I was just like, how does this thing even turn? 
Like it doesn't make a lot of sense. It definitely gets your attention. There's no metrics on it that I could find, but it, it's definitely a stunner if you're into that super high-end luxury vehicle. So kind of cool to see, you know, a brand like Rolls-Royce jumping in there and, and not doing what they did in the 80s and 90s, where they just pretty much cranked out the same stuff they had been making forever. So it's good to see them taking a step into this world and kind of joining the ranks with everybody else. This was foretold, right? We saw this. We, we talked about this on several other episodes at this part, this segment of the show, where it's like, it's only going to be a matter of time before the Euros and everybody else kind of get into this scene and start to take on, you know, Tesla and everybody else in this EV world. So again, curious to see what happens. It looks to me like it's the next logical progression for this car would be the wheels mechanically fold in under the car and it takes flight. (laughs) I like the DeLorean back to the future. It's already got a Rolls-Royce motor. You know, Rolls-Royce is known for their their aviation motors. Here we go. This is the, the next logical step for flying vehicles. So I guess we would be remiss, as Tanya likes to say, if we didn't talk about Tesla one more time. Who? <laughs> Well, I don't think this is the last time. But, uh, it's literally not the last time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't want to belabor this point too much. I mean, it's just, you know, a report out of essentially, you know, consumer reports, reliability survey. They do, they do the reliability surveys all the time. They're the you know, gold standard for reporting on that kind of information. And, you know, not shockingly, the Teslas don't do well <laughs> in consumer reports reliability. So pretty much overall, they sit at second from the bottom of a 26 brand ranking that's not so great is gm underneath them uh, you know what i can't find the list i don't remember who was at the bottom now who's at the very very bottom but nonetheless i mean we all have heard the stories whether it be the the, the home depot parts and all that but uh the misaligned body panels and hashtag tesla gap <laughs> suspension issues and you know the in-car electronic issues and all that and then to a minor scale which is considered i think in the reliability ports is like things like the, the finish or the paint being pretty abhorrent and things like that i, I believe all these different categories are weighted so i don't think the paint category is you know putting too much on the reliability but still it's measured in there so but we've seen over the last winter months here tesla stock continues to climb yeah and you know oh we're making so much money and all this stuff and i was really confused back in when was it the years just melt together now (laughs) in the before times (laughs) in in 2020 with all the covid not that we're out of covid when we were deeper in the covid last year in 2020 you know there were reports that the earnings were you know the best ever even though the factory in california was shut down and all this stuff and didn't sell any cars and i'm like how the hell are you making money if you're not selling cars and the factory is closed i'm not the best (laughs) you know those kind of finance things but um something didn't add up for me so i found it interesting when there was an article you know it's a a little bit of a grabber title if you will you know tesla's dirty little secret its net profit doesn't come from selling cars but needless to say i mean the grabbiness worked because i wanted to read what they were talking about i hadn't put it together before that they are selling carbon credits So they're making all their money, not from selling their vehicles, but from the fact that they have an abundance of carbon credit and they're selling that to other people. So apparently they brought in $3.3 billion over the last five years, which apparently 1.6 of which 
was just in 2020 alone. Whereas apparently the, I think their car sales was something like 721 million. So without all that carbon credit selling that they're doing, they would actually would have had an income loss. If for people who don't know what that is, essentially, you know, the whole emissions and, and carbon and all that, there, there's a whole cap and trade system. So basically different areas, different regions, different companies, businesses, whatever, you're capped on how much you can emit and pollute. And then you either obviously need to, if you're going to exceed your threshold, you either need to invest and get green, essentially lower your carbon emissions in whatever form that can be, or you can buy carbon credit because it's this kind of whole market exchange that you can do. And so you can buy credits from somebody else in lieu of, so that, so essentially you can, you can over emit your threshold, but you bought the carbon credits to do a whole offset thing. It, it's a whole thing that exists. And so apparently they're making a ton of money being able to do that because they're a fully trick based company and they've got a ton, they're sitting on a ton of carbon credits apparently. So there you go. Fun fact. It ain't because they're selling a million Teslas. They might not be selling a million Tesla threes either because there's a shortage on chips globally. So those are all the silicon microchips and everything that go into these new cars and computers and everything. As we move further and further into the EV world, we become more and more reliant on all these computers and boards and chips and all the stuff. And apparently there is a global shortage. This has also extended the production lines and production timelines of a bunch of different auto manufacturers. One of those specifically GM. So again, you know, they're teasing us with these Super Bowl ads and the Lyric and the Hummer and all this stuff. And they can't even build the cars yet because there just aren't enough chips out there to make it all happen. So, you know, that is a major drawback. I mean, outside of places like Texas that weren't prepared for the snow and you won't be able to charge your EV, they can't even build them right now. So, you know, we'll see how that changes. You know, obviously companies are going to have to tool up quickly to be able to, to produce more and more chips as we become more and more dependent on computerized systems in the future. Here's another issue that cropped up also. So there's two main battery manufacturers for the lithium ion batteries that are in Korea. There's SK and there's LG basically. And SK, apparently they're having some sort of legal issue. So there's some sort of misappropriation of trade secrets on battery technology. So, so there's some big thing between SK and LG. What's happened now is that SK, they had contracts with Ford and Volkswagen for sending over lithium ion batteries. They're allowed to continue that for the next four years, but basically they can't export out the lithium ion batteries to anybody else at the moment. So there is another issue because now if somebody like LG can't take up all that slack or another company doesn't come along, where are the batteries coming from then? So if they can get their act together and resolve whatever their issues are and prove this, that, and the other, then you know they can go back to doing business. But we'll see how, how this impacts anything. And, and much like Tesla is selling credits, who's to say that uh, SK can't sell them to Ford or Volkswagen and then Ford or Volkswagen turn around and resell them once they're out of Korea. I mean, that's a whole logistics supply chain thing that's right well above our pay grades. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there's all sorts of things involved there from the business perspective. But mm -hmm. even those batteries, for a lot of people that don't know, I've done some research myself on like the anti-gravity batteries and stuff for the race cars. There's boards and chips inside those batteries to do like automatic tending and jump starting and a lot of other stuff. So even those battery manufacturers are kind of being held to what's the supply chain like for those chips. I think it's really cool that 
that those you know batteries are becoming that sophisticated. Super light, obviously they weigh almost next to nothing uh, when you're doing you know a replacement. Again, we'll see what happens this year, and maybe it's going to be like the Viper. How many EVs are sold? Four. <laughs> you know, we are a car enthusiast and motorsport podcast. I guess it's time for us to talk about motorsports, and so let's transition and go behind the wall for some motorsports news. So right up front, you know, at the top of the segment here, most people in our community are interested in circuit racing, club racing, HPDEs and things of that nature. At the end of the year, obviously month by month, we could tell you what was left on the calendar, which tracks were, you know, popular, you know, looking at the big ones, like, you know, the Glen and VIR and stuff like that. Now that we're at the top of the season, which pretty much kicks off in our area in the mid-Atlantic, right around the March timeframe, obviously places well, not Texas, but places like Florida have already started early in January, you know, returning to the track. I'm not going to list any events. I just want to give a big shout out to Dave Peters and the crew over at HPDE Junkie because they have what seems to be like well over a thousand events already in the system that you can go and search by each track to figure out who's there. And those events aren't just for the next couple of months. They're for the entire track season. So if you're looking for something to do once the weather breaks, you know, check out hpdejunkie.com for all the latest information on, you know, who's where and when and why. One of the biggest things that happens in the winter every year, and it's been a tradition for all of us here at GTM, is to get together and watch Rolex like we do in the summertime with Le Mans. So this year was a little different. You know, we didn't have the typical viewing party Brad's house or at somebody else's house. We did it virtually this year. So we had a 24-hour session going where people could jump in and jump out, comment on the race, get together, and all that. And it worked out really, really well. It was a lot of fun. In the end, it was probably more fun than the race itself. Wouldn't you say, Brad? Yeah, the race was pretty boring. <laughs> it was like the year when we went to the actual race. I don't know. I don't have much to say about the race. So. It just, there just wasn't much luster to it at all. And, I, and it was weird because there were people there. We had some guys on the ground who jumped in on our session and were telling us, you know, we could hear the PA system in the background and the cars going by, which made it super exciting. But it just seemed a little bit meh. Like that's the best way I can describe it. I think it's also on the precipice of a lot of changes that are coming to IMSA, that are coming to WEC, that are coming to the Chona prototype, you know, series and things like that. They're changing the rules. They're changing the classing for the next couple of years. You know, by the time we hit 2023 Le Mans, you're going to see a lot of crossover and blending of these classes. And it started to surface a lot of articles about the future of GT racing at Le Mans and at IMSA. Yeah, I don't know. I personally love GT racing. There's nothing more exciting to me than seeing cars that you see on the street, slap a bunch of stickers on them. Now, I know they're not the exact same cars, but you get the point. They're out there on track. It, it, it gives the everyman the sense that, hey, I can go do that with my car, which leads into HBDE and autocross and all that other fun stuff. I'm not a fan of open wheel too much. I mean, I watch it, but I would much prefer GT racing to see it go away would be a huge disappointment for me. Yeah. And I think that the restructuring is going to make things interesting, right? They're talking about bringing TCR and GT4 up into a new kind of homologated GT3 class. But then that also means they're going to do away with GTAM. So all those gentlemen drivers we talked about early on in season one in that episode, that might not be a thing anymore. But then you're also seeing the manufacturers pulling out of GTLM. I mean, I thought GTLM this year was 
I hate to say kind of pathetic. It was Corvette's race to lose. They really didn't have any competition, even the privateer Porsches and stuff. It was like, eh, I really would like to see that bolstered back up. I'd like to see more production sports cars in there. I, you know, Rolex was the sunset of the 488 Ferrari. So what's Ferrari going to come to the table with, if at all, you know, there was, yeah, there was a couple Lambos in there. So, you know, Volkswagen's doing their thing or Audi or whatever. What I don't want to see though is, and we know that DPI is a weird in between of LMP1 and P2. I didn't like the whole LMP3 thing. I didn't understand why they even needed to do that. But what I don't want to see is Rolex and some of the other races, you know, Sebring, et cetera, or this entire series just become LMP2 cars because it's just NASCAR with prototypes at that point, because they're all the same, you know, basically the same chassis, same engine. Does anybody really watch the LMP2 race? Like I couldn't tell you who to root for at the end of the day. So that's not exciting. And LMP1 is kind of a bust right now. To your point, the excitement is in the GT class because that's where I can get excited as an enthusiast about cars that I might see at at an auto show, or I might see at a DE or I might, you know, or something like that. It's closer to reality for me than a lot of the other stuff. And don't get me wrong. I love my LMP1 cars, but there's just nobody there right now. So let's talk about other things that happened during the winter outside of Rolex. In our world, we did some virtual racing. So as this airs, it's actually airing on the last day on the championship round of our virtual racing league for Lupus. So if you haven't been catching up on that, we've been doing that for the last eight weeks. It was a DTM inspired series. We went back and kind of looked at the the classic DTM days. We allowed cars from Audi, Benz, Alfa Romeo, BMW, Ford, and Opel, because those were the brands that ran in that series. Mixed class racing, just like IMSA. And we We raised almost $1,500 for Lupus in the name of one of our members. If you guys haven't caught up on that, you can go back and watch the replays of the live streams on Patreon. You can go back and see the scoreboard on our website. Good showing on the part of both teams from Garage Ride and GTM. It was a well-fought series. It was a lot of fun. And I'm really curious to see how the championship race turns out at Road Atlanta, which is a petite, petite Le Mans, 30 laps, two mandatory stops, mixed uh, GTLM and LMP cars. So that should be an exciting finale. If you haven't tuned in yet, you should tune in for that race. It's going to be a lot of fun. So we look forward to that. And uh, again, thanks for everybody that has contributed. If you haven't so far, and you're still in time to donate to the cause, you can go to our website and search VRL for charity. That's VRL Virtual Racing League for charity uh, on the website. And there's links to bring you to those spots where you can donate and do all that kind of stuff. Outside of that, there were some other things that happened during the winter. We saw a robo race car immediately crash into a wall. (laughs) Uh, They tried to simulate, you know, what Audi did and a few others with, you know, quote unquote, autonomous driving on track. But this time they did it with an LMP car and it made it straight out of the pits, hooked a Louie and went right into the wall. Were they using Tesla auto drive technology? Somebody has to touch the steering wheel to make it work. So that didn't end very well. But outside of that, there were a couple other cool things that happened. You guys know I'm a WRC fan, so this might only hit close to home for two other people in the world that are listening to this. But Yari Matilatvila, the madman of WRC, one of the you know remaining kind of veterans of the sport, unlike a lot of the new guys that are in there, decided to throw down and kind of park his GR Yaris WRC car to the side and jump into car. Carlos Sands, 1991 Celica GT 
winning WRC uh, Toyota. They took the car out of a museum. They take this 1991 Celica out of the museum and Yari throws down the gauntlet and says, I can guarantee you this car is as competitive as the new cars are. And everybody's like, ah, what are you talking about? And I've said this myself. I wonder if the old Group B cars or even the later cars could compete with the new WRC cars. And I tell you what, I don't want to give it away, but you got to watch the video. You got to check it out. I mean, he throws down in this thing and it is an awesome run. And I mean, he earned the title Madman of WRC for multiple reasons, but he does a hell of a showing. And I will say some of those old rally cars can still really send it at the end of the day. So that was a lot of fun. So check that out. Meanwhile, as we know, Ken Block has kind of pulled out of the Gymkhana world. He's kind of pulled back from the things he's doing. Obviously, he's big and still into Hoonigan stuff and building crazy cars and all that. But Travis Pastrana has picked up the torch from Ken and has now decided to get into that Gymkhana world and, and try to create some of those videos. And him being from DMV area, specifically from Maryland and whatnot, as some of you might recall, we talked about him trying to start up a track on the Eastern shore, specifically for rally and things like that. He decided as a publicity stunt, as now he's engaging in this and, and involved with Subaru and things like that, to jump his Subaru WRC car across Gasoline Alley it basically there in the harbor in Annapolis. And there's a tons of videos of that. That was really cool to see. There are some guys that I work with that happened to be there in person. And, you know, they were sending the videos around. Obviously it's all very practiced and staged and timed, but it's still kind of cool to see a rally car flying through the air in the middle of, you know, Annapolis. F1 driver, Lewis Hamilton, you know, you may have heard of him. He drives for the Petronas F1 team for Mercedes. Buh. He won his seventh lucky number seven F1 championship. And that's all I have to say about that oh, God. because it's, it's old hat. Now nobody gives a crap, whatever. The question is, is he going to go for eight? Right. I think that's the question on everybody's mind. He and do just we... signed the contract with Mercedes for more time. So yes, he is going for eight. So, so what we're, what you're telling me is it's yet another boring season of F1 to come for 2021. Nope. My prediction is Daniel Ricciardo is going to destroy in the McLaren and win his first championship. That's my prediction. That's but, my hot take right now. Uh, and we know from listening to the International Man of Mystery episode, folks like Judd are getting super excited because Alonzo is coming back this year as well. So true, true. It'd be interesting to dice up. You know, can Alonzo come back and be as competitive as he once was? You know, I mean, obviously his hopes and dreams of getting that triple crown, being the next, you know, Jim Clark, Mario Andretti to win Le Mans, Indy, and F1 have, let's say, been shattered a little bit. So I'm excited to see him come back to F1 and dice it up. What I'm worried though is as Tanya mentioned on the last official drive through episode we did, you know, maybe he's more of a Valentino Rossi. He's going to give those guys a run for their money, but is he going to push to take that championship away from Hamilton in this 2021 season? That's what personally because he he's going to Renault. Correct. I don't think the Renault is competitive, so I don't think he's going to do well. But one person I'm anxious to see or excited to see is Sebastian Hairloss Vettel. <laughs> in the aston martin so he lost it he lost more hair so he's lighter now but in that aston martin if you recall that is the uh, the former of the racing point car which was actually very competitive and won a couple races last year it's got a mercedes drivetrain so it's it's actually a really good car and i think with vettel driving 
you know, I, I'm excited to see the kind of year he has after such a disappointing year with Ferrari last year. So what I heard was it's not an Aston Martin. It's an Aston Martin chassis, I believe. But it's like a Tata power plant and a, <laughs> no, and a Mercedes drivetrain. So the only thing that can beat a Mercedes apparently is another the Mercedes. Mercedes. <laughs> yeah, we'll take that with a grain of salt and I guess we'll see what happens. It wouldn't be a drive-through episode if we didn't finally get to our fan favorite section known as Would You Like Some Fries With That? So take it away, Tanya. Of course, you have to click when the title says Florida man builds a very Florida Jeep. <laughs> you can't not click and see what that says. Apparently this guy, I don't know why, he, he does some 2020 Jeep Gladiator that he cut in half. That seems like a good use of, uh, of a Jeep Gladiator. Anyway, he cut, in, cut it in half to create this custom Jeep that looks like it could have been part of Mad Max films. I don't know. And it's got two extra wheels in the back. Um, so it's a six-wheel jeep gladiator now um i assume for the intents of the photo the doors are off just to be off i assume you can put them back on but maybe you can't maybe you just ride open to the wind all the time i mean it's just looks like something preparing for end of days maybe and you got like six of the other florida buddies on the back with guns i don't know i mean is this an attempt to build a cheap six by six g-wagon like mercedes had because I don't know. It- because apparently he put an LS3 500 horsepower engine in it also. <laughs> well, okay, well, hold on. Why would you buy a new car? Could you just go buy an old like YJ and do the same thing? That question is as old as time. That's what Jeep people do. I, when I was on the Jeep forums, because I, I used to be a Jeep person, you would find people spending $45,000 for a brand new JK Unlimited Rubicon taking all the Rubicon out of it and putting another 50 grand into upgraded axles and wheels and tires and suspension and all kinds of the crap. You're right. Why not just start with an X or a sport, you know, something base model or something older and just do that. This just baffles my mind. I'm going to spend 60 grand on a Jeep gladiator truck and then spend 250 grand to make it whatever the hell this thing is. But it wouldn't be a Florida man story if it didn't involve Catching on fire, a scented candle, dumpster water, uh, gators. I mean, there's got to be something. You know, did he print a check and, and bought it from Walmart? I mean, there's got to be more to this, right? Apparently, I mean, it's for sale, so there's an ad. So other than the fact that they have poor spelling and grammar, <laughs> and, and apparently it tows 12,000 foot pounds. What does that mean? <laughs> well, according to the ad, 12,000 pounds of feet. It'll <laughs> Thousand foot pounds of towing capacity so that so oh. that for whatever that possibly means <laughs> oh my god i mean i don't know and and according to the ad it, the listing it, it can take on and off road challenges and double quote the article in <laughs> that listing effortlessly hits 90 miles an hour on the highway and not be all over three lanes not be <laughs> now that that is marketing gold right there oh. not be all over it so wait can it mountain bike trail that's what i want to know no it cannot <laughs> it can take off-road challenges so uh, okay or, yes. or have to recover. i mean if a soccer field is an off-road challenge for this thing i mean i okay hands down i get it but i will tell you this thing looks killer parked outside the local starbucks does it fit in the parking spot it fits in three of them. 
those long ones like a cracker barrel that sort of fits in but it's not all up all over four lanes <laughs> not to be remiss and not talk about tesla again <laughs> oh lord what now tesla going to tesla i feel like there's been more than just this time that it's happened or maybe this is the same article and i'm just misremembering or it happened again another tesla model exploding in a garage in china <laughs> are there being old, you are, start a fire are they being used as bombs? Like, I mean, I'm not trying to make a joke of it, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, this, this is a covert ops mission on the U.S. to destroy China by blowing them up with Tesla and batteries. I mean, there's never really too much information about these articles. It's just kind of like, oh, this happened. And I'm like, I know, I'm pretty sure I've heard of it happening before. It's unclear. I mean, could it be someone deliberately doing this? You have a serial Tesla exploder. I don't know. Not trying to start in your room. <laughs> no, his perfume line, his perfume line is called Musk by Elon. <laughs> well, you know, this. That's the scented candle, Musk by Elon. <laughs> <laughs> this sol this solves the problem of not being able to heat your Tesla with yes. you know so you you just start a fire. Oh nice and toasty at that point. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna set the stage for you. Okay. Somewhere this is in fantastic and I yeah. only watched like two seconds. Somewhere in Appalachia, there is a race that none of us have ever seen before, and it is considered the most insane Barbie racing ever. We posted this on the show notes, so you definitely need to check it out. This is, this is 15 minutes, so I'm just gonna- oh <laughs> All you need is the first 10 seconds. It is like a 15 minute video, but to Tanya's point, you only need about 10 seconds to get the gist of where this is going. This is adults riding power wheels down a rough dirt hill. It is the funniest thing I have seen in a long time. OMG. This the, the crazy, dangerous things people do. And they're like crashing. They're like flipping off these things. One guy makes it. One guy makes and the crowd goes bonkers. And it's kind of funny because it's like a J-shaped ski slope almost but it's super rough to your point and there's people lining i mean i'm surprised they're not out there with air horns and like cowbells and stuff like you'd see but the wrecks are spectacular is the guy who won because i've just been randomly fast forwarding through this thing is the guy who won the dude in the in the united states flag onesie i think he's the only one that makes it all the way down without the thing blowing up flipping over or crashing into the people but it's fantastic the guy i just saw he made it all the way. He had to pick it up and carry it the rest of the way. Oh, yeah, that happens too. Because like it's half busted, but it still counts if they carry it across the line. Oh, it, it is outrageous. He, I've he, never he, seen he anything did, like he this. He did make it down. He did make it down on like a what looked like maybe a Hummer. Uh, yes, yes, that's wheels. the one. Yeah. And then he and then he stands there in his United States flag onesie chugging a beer. Well, again, motorsport spans all sorts of different disciplines and this one i'd never seen before so apparently downhill power wheel super g is where it's at right now <laughs> you I, know? I, I will tell you that this is not uh, i mean there, there's something very similar to this in the motorcycle world where they do it with big wheels on roads like tail of the dragon all I know is the rule book for this is non-existent. It's a yeah. paperback. And there are no safety regulations whatsoever. Oh, They're wearing... Dying. This guy like went down, I think it was 
get a little G power. He like flipped over and like barrel rolled and all and three of the wheels like flew off his power wheels. That's the man that picks it up and then and, and carries it across the line. It is amazing. This is definitely hashtag hold my beer. Well, I will say this. It's right up there with some videos that we saw and we may attach this to the show notes, which is the guys that are building the cardboard sleds and running them down the tube slides. This is right there with it, but this is more of the shiner approach to that style of racing. So both worth watching, both absolutely hilarious. So if you guys recall from a previous drive through episode, I clued you in on one piece of would you like fries with that, where a gentleman wanted to figure out how good and show the world how good square bodies really are. So if you remember this clown, you know, it's 20 minutes of your life you'll never get back. Well, he created another video where he decided that he needed to put a Hellcat brand new on a set of horse and buggy wheels and see how far he could get. So I'm like, all right, same idiot as before. Let me clue in on this. Let me watch it. And I'm just baffled. He's, you know, talking about a sponsor, built these hubs for him. So he could put these, you know, Conestoga wagon wheels on this thing. And he, he makes it work. I see the car in the garage. And my next question is, how does this thing turn? Are these hubs big enough? How does this change the geometry of the car? All this kind of stuff. So he pulls it out the garage and, you know, normal stupidity ensues and he's doing burnouts and like all this kind of stuff and, and whatnot. But he drives it into town, drives it through a McDonald's drive through like all this kinds of people are looking at him. He gets spooked by the cops a little bit because he's, you know, he's driving, basically he's driving around illegally on these horse and buggy wheels. They let him go by. Then he, you know, tries to do some burnouts and whatnot. And by the end of this thing, you're just appalled because you feel bad for the car because you notice the amount of damage he's doing to it. The hubs aren't big enough. The, the wagon wheels are bashing into the fenders. They're pinching the, the body panels and whatnot. I mean, this brand new Hellcat is basically ruined. And then when he does this kind of final burnout, the, the, the wagon wheel, the tire just like is obliterated. And then because of the way those tires are built, it ends up whipping the side of the car and it just, it just beats the fenders in and it ruins the paint. And, you know, they're having, they're laughing and having a good time. And I'm just like, this is just more internet brain rot. If you want to see what these guys are up to, check it out. We posted the video, but I just beside myself. So I've only got one question. I'm also go ahead, Tanya. for all the Quakers. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. The Amish, rather. Because why does he have to dress up like that? I don't know. He didn't do that in the square body video. So I, I want to know when, at what point in the video does he die of dysentery? <laughs> We're going to call that car the Oregon Trail. But you Oof. never actually see, there's never actually video of him turning. All the video is always ever of the steering wheel straight. I'm trying to like skip through to see because I don't understand. The turning radius would be a bit Her horrendous. I mean, a, horrendous. a Saga wagon would have a better turning radius than this thing. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, because you're right, the, the little bicycle tire would just hit the fender after a minimal amount of steering wheel input. That's just, wow, somebody's got too much money. To I just feel sad for that Hellcat. I guess that pretty much wraps up Would You Like Fries with that. So let's just touch on a couple quick pieces of news and some thank yous and whatnot as we wrap up this final episode of the drive-through for season one. Something to note on our end, you know, we're really planning to have a really cool year this year. You know, obviously last year was a bit of a bust. Um, we were able to launch the podcast and still do some, some events throughout 2020. We're hoping 2021 will be a lot better for the GTM members and our fans 
fans and everybody else. So we've got some exciting things planned. Obviously, we have still not now nailed down when and where Summer Bash is going to be. That's always the big question. That's our big anniversary party. So as soon as we know that, we'll let you guys know. We are still projecting on going to some big name events, uh, some races and whatnot. We're going we're gonna to maybe do some drag racing this year, some off-roading this year. We're going to go to Tail of the Dragon. There's a lot of really cool stuff in the works for the 2021 schedule. So it's not all just about going to the track and making some left and right turns and sometimes going straight. You know, look out for that. Watch the club schedule on, the, on our website and uh, just stay tuned for more. I also want to do a quick shout out, you know, to all our sponsors, you know, we picked up some new relationships over the winter, you know, obviously a big thank you to Garage Riot for helping us out with the VRL. Big thank you again to Dave Peters and the guys at HPD Junkie for always supplying us with up-to-date information there. You know, the the boys at Chaz's, you know, and so on down the line and, and all of our sponsors. We did pick up a new one, Harper Home Services of Michigan. So if you're in our new middle and west region and you're looking for somebody to help you out there with home remodeling and, and things like that reach out to hhs their website is harperhomesofmichigan.com and you can see what's going on there but we do have a bunch of new patrons to thank throughout these winter months so we're going to go through that list and make sure we do a quick shout out to all those folks that have been supporting us you know and and funding us and things of that nature big shout out to christine and amr ryan compton jim and sue miller rebecca griffith carrie brill michael sonderby john and carolyn wade Sean Roberts and BJ the better Harrington. <laughs> well, I, I would I would argue that Bruiser is the better Harrington. Well, but, that's true, but <laughs> but we can't, we we would be remiss if we did not give a shout out to the the show's you know creator and uh, organizer and manager and all around great person co-host Tanya. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Thank you for a great season one. We look forward to what's coming in season two. And again, to everybody that's out there, everything that we're doing, the podcast, the Instagram, the website, the live streaming, the, the VRLs, the charity events, everything that we've, we've got going on, we are super busy here at HQ. None of this stuff would be possible without your guys' support as fans, as members, as contributors, as authors, you know, et cetera. And we want to thank all of our guests that have come on the show in season one. I mean, we could sit here and rattle off all their names and go back over the episodes, but you know what? You can do that by visiting our podcast. And if you're already listening to it, so go back and look at all those guests that we've had. We've put out almost 50 episodes in less than a year. So we are geared up to do about the same next year with all new content, all new guests, really big names, some really awesome stuff. So look forward to great and new content coming into this 2021 season. So again, thank you all. You know, None of this would be possible without you. So we tip our hats and we say, here's the next season. Bye. Goodbye. Cars in back of us, all just waiting to order. There's some idiot in a Volvo with his bright sun behind me. I lean out the window and scream, Hey, what you trying to do? Blind me. My wife says maybe we should talk. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.